This morning we are uh, in the second week of an Advent series called Light into Darkness. Light into Darkness is symbolic of what John, in the Gospel of John, said of Jesus. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. This morning our scripture text comes from Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, as well as John 14, 27. We're going to be looking at the peace that Christ himself brings to us. So hear the reading of, of the scriptures for this morning. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now John chapter 14 verse 27. Jesus looked at his disciples and told them this. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, many of us come in here with hearts that are filled with angst, anxiety, frustrations, hearts that are concerned more with the cares of this world or the possessions of this world than in, the, than in what is to come, on the things that matter. Oh, Lord, would you, by your spirit, use your word to take our eyes off of this world and to place them onto you, the one who has brought us peace. Oh, Lord, bring us that peace this morning. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Indeed, at Advent, the church takes time to reflect on the coming of God into the world in the person of Jesus Christ. One of the ways that we do this is we reflect by lighting a candle on the Advent wreath. It's to my right. This metaphor is taken straight from the Apostle John who said of Jesus, in him was life, and the light, life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Each aspect of the, or each candle of this wreath signifies an aspect of Jesus' light. And this week, we are going to consider the candle that represents the peace that Christ brings. And it's a simple question for all of us. How is the peace of Christ light in the midst of darkness? If Jesus brings peace, how is that so? Let's consider, though, what the texts have said. The prophet Isaiah claimed that Jesus, hundreds of years before he came, that his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And then Jesus tells his disciples, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So it is my hope this morning that we aren't just going through the motions of church and just checking the boxes, singing the songs which we know oh so well. No, it is my hope this morning that we would grow in our appreciation for the light that has come into the darkness and how that light 
has brought us peace. But in order for this to happen today, we're gonna have to answer three questions. What is this peace that Jesus brings? What is Jesus' peace? How does Jesus give it? And how do we receive it? So three simple questions that we're gonna answer this morning. First, what is Jesus' peace? Consider what Jesus told his disciples in John 14. He says to them, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Now slow down for just a moment. What is this peace? If he gives us it, what is it? And we just do a quick deep dive in this. The, the Greek word that is used in the Gospel of John is the word irene, which in the Greek language simply conveys a little more than a lack of war. But, but this doesn't quite capture what Jesus means when he says, I give you peace. No, Jesus comes from a Jewish context. So the word that he utters means far more than just a lack of war. Jesus was, after all, Jew, and he would have likely been referring to the Hebrew word for peace, which is shalom. And shalom has a much deeper meaning than what Irenae does in the Greek. Listen to how some scholars describe the, the Hebrew word shalom. G. Gurman says that shalom means to have enough. J.I. Durham says shalom is a comprehensive kind of fulfillment or completion, indeed of a perfection in life and spirit which quite transcends any success which man alone, even under the best of circumstances, is able to attain. A New Testament scholar, D.A. Carson, says, it is a peace that secures composure in the midst of trouble and dissolves fear. It is a peace which garrisons our hearts and minds against the invasion of anxiety and rules or arbitrates in the hearts of God's people to maintain harmony amongst them. This is what Jesus means. And if I might be so bold to share with you my own idea of what Jesus says when, when he says, I give you my peace, I, I think simply put, the peace that he's talking about is a peace that goes vertically, horizontally, and internally. It's a peace with God, a peace with one another, and a peace within our heart. This is the peace that Jesus offers to his disciples, and it is the peace that he offers to us today. Oh, to have this peace, this shalom, do you desire it? Is this something you desire? Peace. After winning his third Super Bowl in 2005, Tom Brady sat down with Steve Croft of 60 Minutes. And in this conversation, the greatest football player, arguably, who's ever lived, humbly revealed his soul to the watching world. He said this to Croft. He said, man, I'm making more money now than I, I thought I could ever make playing football. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? He continued, I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me? I think it's got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27. And what else is there for me? Croft, who's sitting there listening, asked this question real quickly. What's the answer? Brady said, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I mean, I think that's part of me trying to go out and experience other things. I love playing football, and I love being a quarterback for this team, but at the same time, I think there's a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to find. He's searching for peace, and he's looking to anything in this world to give him that peace. Friends, there's only one person that can give us the peace 
that settles our hearts. Jesus himself brings to us the shalom that all of our hearts are longing for. Wouldn't you want a peace that garrisons our hearts and minds against the invasion of anxiety? Wouldn't you want a perfection in life and spirit which transcends any success you are able to attain? Wouldn't you want a peace with God and with others and within your heart? This is the peace that Jesus brings. It's shalom. We're not just going through the motions. We're not just lighting these candles because this is what we're supposed to do. No, we're saying the light has come into the darkness and this light brings us peace. Peace with God, peace with one another, and peace within our hearts. This is the peace that Jesus brings. But this begs a question. How does Jesus give us this peace? I mean, it's crazy to think, okay, if he's giving us this peace, how does he give it? That's, that's quite bizarre. And that's the second question that I want to answer. How does Jesus give the peace that he offers to his disciples? Well, Jesus gives us somewhat of an answer in John 14, 27. Right after Jesus says that he gives peace, he qualifies this statement saying this, not as the world gives do I give to you. So in other words, he says, the peace that I'm giving is drastically different than the way that the world gives peace. Now we have to hear this statement. We have to think of this in the ears of someone from the first century. I, I truly believe this. Jesus uttered these words in roughly 30 AD. Don't put me on the spot. I'm, I'm just saying it's roughly 30 AD, okay? And during this time, the infamous Pax Romana was well in place. The Pax Romana was established in 27 BC, and it was established so that all the Roman Empire would be able to work together. It was, it, was, it was what created peace all along the Mediterranean coast and where Rome was in power. This Pax Romana would continue on for another 150 years, even, maybe even more so, from this time. And so when Jesus is saying, the peace that I give you is not how the world goes, I think without question, he's referring to the Pax Romana which would have been deeply established in this world. Now, now let, me, let me put this into context so some of you guys might know. D do you remember what the Jewish high priest accused Jesus of? D do you remember what they did? They went to Pilate. And what did they accuse Pilate, or Jesus of to Pilate? Do you remember what they did? This man claims to be the king of the Jews. What are they appealing to? They're appealing to the Pax Romana. Peace, Rome, you establish. Peace, Rome, is what you give. And, and, and so the first century here are, are listening to this. How does the world give peace? Well, they give it through Rome. And how does Rome give peace? They give it through the sword. The chief priest said, hey, Rome, this guy's claiming to be the king of the Jews. He's challenging your authority and the peace that you've established in this area, and it's great. And what did they do to him? They plunged a spear in his side, and they hung him on a cross because he challenged the Pax Romana. See, the world gives peace through the sword, and they will use it brutally, and will say, great. But Jesus says, I don't give peace the way the world gives peace, does he? I turn it on his head. The world gives peace by the sword, but I give it in a completely different way. I do not think it's ironic that Jesus says this and then goes and dies as a result of the Pax Romana. It is not ironic. 
His death indeed was the very thing that brought us peace. The sword being plunged in him, metaphorically there was no sword, okay? But the sword that the state yielded against him is the very thing that brought us peace. The Apostle Paul, when he's writing to the, to the Ephesian Christians, he says this about Jesus in Ephesians 2, 14 and 16. If you want to go there, you can see this for yourself. He says this about Jesus. He himself is our peace, who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Now, it's easy to get lost in this, but let me, let me explain what's happening. The law that condemns Everyone, the law of God that condemns all of us requires God's wrath to come on. It's his justice and it's good. But because of Jesus dying on the cross, he satisfies that justice in his own body. That's what Paul is saying. Then he continues. That he might create in himself one new man in the place of two. What? So making peace and might reconcile both to God and one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Here's what Paul's saying. Jesus takes the sword, the sword of the state, to pay the very penalty that caused the hostility in the first place. Jesus purchased it with his own blood, taking the sword upon himself that he might satisfy God's justice. And because justice has been satisfied, there can be peace with God through the blood of Christ. Christ himself endured our place of suffering. He underwent the hostile wrath of God in our place that he might offer his peace to us freely and undeserved. The peace comes to us by grace. It is nothing that we do. Last month, I had the privilege of sitting at a Veterans Day uh, event from my children's school with a veteran himself, Benjamin Buchanan. And in this Veterans Day commemoration, we spent time listening to kids celebrate the many men and women who have gone and served in our military over, for a long period of time. And, and I, I must admit that I was guilty of not appreciating the many men and women who have gone and sacrificed on our behalf that I might have peace. Kind of a, a little bit of a glimmer of what Jesus has done for us. Now, I got to thank Ben, and I thank many of the other men in here, and I don't know if there's any women in here that have served, but there's many in here that have served and given their lives, risked their lives, I should say, so that we might have peace, and indeed we have peace. Well, it's the same thing with Christ. Christ has given himself, but he went all the way that we might have peace, and he gives it to us freely. There's nothing that we have done just like there's nothing that most of us have done to earn the peace that we have in our country. Jesus has given us his peace freely, and it begs the question, if Jesus gives it to us freely because he's earned it himself, how then do we receive it? How do we receive this peace? The answer is that it needs to be applied to our lives, our hearts, and our minds. Said a different way, it needs to be trusted and walked in. Consider the last thing that Jesus says in verse 27. He says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The Greek words that he's using, it's just one word, they're imperative. Do this, do this, apply it to your life. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Simply put, 
These words that I give to you, I'm giving you my peace, you need to trust them. You need to apply them to your life. You need to let them you know, soak into your mind and then apply it to your life. You need to trust it, believe it. You need to, to, to take the peace that garrisons our hearts and our minds against the invasion of anxiety, the peace that is a perfection in life and spirit which transcends any success you're able to attain. You need to believe it. This is how we receive it. We receive it through faith. Oh, that we would believe that the peace that he himself has brought, Jesus that he's brought, that it would be applied to our lives. I'm gonna do this in three different ways, apply it to your life, kind of as a model for you that you might then apply it to your life and have the very peace that Jesus offers. Three categories. How then can we have peace with God first? How do we apply the peace that Jesus says he brings with God? I know I've already discussed this, but I want you to know it's true that Jesus has graciously given his peace through his own blood, Through his own blood, Jesus himself has satisfied the wrath of God against sin. So you can have peace with God. I I know there there are people in here, you have sinned this week, and you thought, I'm screwed with God. I I, I believed in Jesus, but that sin, I can't do, like that, that has, God is angry at me. Friends, If you are in Christ, God is not angry with you. You have an advocate who has given you the peace he has earned. Oh, that you would believe that. It is graciously given to you. You have peace with God. And you can have that. You have peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on your behalf on the cross. I want you to know that. Believe it. Walk in it. Doubt not. We apply the peace of Christ that he brings with the peace that we can have with God. But secondly, we can apply the peace that Jesus brings with one another. And I I would say this is very difficult for a lot of us. I'm just going to be frank with you. Giving peace to one another, especially when you have been legitimately sinned against and harmed. It is very difficult. When we are hurt and harmed, when people do things to us that are unspeakable, oh, we want to hold against, we, we want to we, we, we hold on. And we'll do whatever it takes to kind of get back at them. But because the peace that Jesus brings, we actually can forgive and have peace with one another. C- consider what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 12, 17 through 20. I'm just going to read this. Paul says to those who have received the peace of God, he says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And then he gives this statement, and I think this is very important for living with peace with one another. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. You want to know how we can have peace with one another? We can look to the God who is just. And he will indeed pay the sin that is done against you, the harm that is done against you, in either two ways. He will either put it onto Jesus, 
as he's put your sin and your, the things that you've done, he will put it onto Jesus just like you've received it, or he will pay them in their own blood. Justice will be done, and you, my friend, can rest that justice will be done. Let me say this clearly. You will never in your, in your life be able to seek the justice that is rightly due to you for the harm that has been done to you in your own power. You will never. There's this sick cycle of if I'm going to, to, to bring justice to myself by paying back evil for evil, you are now going to be guilty of doing something that you weren't intended to give, which is justice towards that person. And now you're gonna be guilty and there's gonna be this sick cycle that you'll never be able to escape. There's only one who can and that's God himself. And he offers this peace that we can have. You know what, God? You are God. You have justice. And you will repay according to your justice. And so for that, I'm going to have peace. Peace with one another. Trust that he will give peace through justice. That you might live peaceably with one another. But finally, not only can you have peace and tr should trust the gospel, the good news of Christ bringing peace with God, with others, you can have peace in your heart. If we're, we're honest with ourselves, outside of what has already been discussed, I think there's two other primary sources of angst and anxiety in all of our hearts. Death and the angst caused by the devil. Death and the devil are the result of so much darkness in our midst and in our minds. But the peace of Christ that he brings shines a light into these dark places as well. Jesus says to his disciples in John 16, saying this, in the world you have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The two greatest sources, if not some of the most uh, sources that cause this anxiety, death and the devil have been overcome by Christ. And we can take comfort from this. Let me just explain, death, how can we take uh, comfort from the peace that Christ brings in death? As Christians, what do, we, what do we celebrate almost every Sunday? Why do we worship on Sunday? Because Christ himself rose from the grave on the third day. We need not fear death because Christ himself has overcome it. Believe this, friend. Christ has risen from the grave. Death is not the end. This is not some fancy story that we just make up. This is historical reality. It's true. I mean, you can study the historical scholars who've tried to make sense of this and poke holes in the resurrection of Jesus, and the truth of it is there is no holes. I mean, like, it doesn't make sense scientifically a lot of the time, but it's incredible to think that Christ himself has conquered the grave. And so death, when it comes into our mind, yes, it's scary, it's an unknown in some ways. In other ways, because of the resurrection of Jesus, we know that it's just the beginning of a new beginning. Christ has overcome the grave. And so, take this truth of his resurrection and apply it to your fear of death. And find the peace that such truth brings to your heart. Let not your hearts be troubled. So he brings us peace in our hearts when we fear death, but he also brings us peace in our hearts when we consider the fear we might have against the devil. You might not believe that there are spiritual forces of evil that exist in the world, but you are naive. I want you to know that. 
There are forces in this world that we cannot control, that we cannot, in our own power, we can't do much about. But Christ has overcome those as well. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 2 reminds us that because of Jesus' life and death, he destroyed the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. That he delivers those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The devil is someone you should fear, but not irrationally. I, I remember this time when I was a child, I went to this Halloween haunted house with my family. I was probably seven or eight years old. I barely made it out, the, out of the door of my parents' car because out of this haunted house came this monster gorilla. I mean, he came bolting. I still remembered it. It was a single-story home, and on the side of the home was this fence, and this gorilla comes running out. I immediately jumped in the trunk of my parents' car, slammed it, and hid my face. Jesus takes that gorilla and punts it back over that fence. He's conquered the devil. The devil is just a part of what God has done. And it's mystery, but, but here's the truth. The devil's nothing according to Jesus. And because of that, we need not fear. We can have peace even in the face of the devil himself. Oh, that we would apply these truths. Friends, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Why? Because Christ himself has given us his peace. It is a light in the midst of our darkness. Oh, friends, take hold of that. Take hold of it. Apply it to your life and rejoice. Let me pray. Oh, gracious Lord, we give thanks to you that in, even in the midst of darkness, the darkness in our life, the darkness in this world, we have light. And the darkness has not overcome it. Indeed, part of this light comes to us and it shows us that we can have peace. Peace in the midst of this world. Oh Lord, may we take your word to heart. May we, we apply the truth of your peace deep into our hearts that we might not be afraid nor be troubled. What a gift this is. We can receive this and know this and walk in it all the days of our life. Amen.